We are continuing in our sermon series called Mystery of the Kingdom. We're trying to understand this kingdom that Jesus came to this earth to usher in. And Jesus is the king and he's unfolding this kingdom. And he talked about the mystery of the kingdom or the secret of the, of the kingdom. And by that, Jesus is just talking about something that is apparent at hand, that can be known, but is somehow veiled or unknown. And Jesus is uncovering it and demonstrating it in his life and through his teaching. And we are using this graphic to sort of describe or encapsulate the sermon series, Mystery of the Kingdom and the crown you know, for a king. And we, we see images of, of sky. And when we think about God, we often think of these kind of heavenly sort of images. But if you look underneath, there's sort of a city. Oh, no, not that one. Go back. Go back, go back, go back, go back. Please. Oh. All right. All right. You see the skyline underneath it. This is kind of a city skyline, but it's actually, it's actually upside down. So if you flip it this way, that's the Boston city skyline, and it's, it's upside down. Because what happens is we often think we see the world like this, we see God's kingdom, and then, or we, we see kind of what we see in God's kingdom is sort of underneath it. But really, Jesus is teaching that, you know, sometimes it's the world that's upside down, and his, as he's explaining his kingdom. And you may not have seen that if I didn't tell you to flip it over. Right? So it was sort of a mystery. It's obvious, it's clear, but it was somehow veiled and upside down. So we're trying to understand how does God's kingdom uh, play out in the places he called us. And not only do we use images of sort of sky and nature, but kind of urban images. We'll leave it on this one. I'll get, we'll get, we'll get there later. Um, uh, urban images. So my friend Steve works in the city, and he works in Cambridge. And Steve lives in North Andover, and I, whenever I picture him, I picture him in North Andover, and I have a very vivid memory of his street, because I was driving the church van. We used to have this church van, completely dangerous. We don't own it anymore. But I was driving the church van, driving students around, and a deer jumped out on his street, right in front of the church, uh, right in front of the church van. And I slammed the brakes, and I just missed the deer, and we had a moment, you know, <laughs> and he was scared, I was scared, and it took off. And when I think of my friend Steve, I picture him at a sheep shearing, I picture him on a street where deer jump out. He works right next to MIT, in a very high-tech, very uh, multicultural, uh, multi-ethnic type setting, very young setting, fast-paced, high-tech. And that's, that's his frontline ministry. He spends most of his waking hours in that type of a setting, not in a you know, country feel. It, it's when we get into those places and try to understand where is God's kingdom unfolding in front of me wherever I am, not just when I'm relaxing or hiking or fishing or doing these kind of nature things, where is God in my everyday? So an image of a city is a good image. You know, many of you work in the city or near the city in the, all the different places where God has called you. Uh, so we're, we're trying to understand this, and we're looking through the Gospel of Mark. This is Mark, his account of the, the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. And it starts out, Jesus is on the scene. He is saying that his kingdom is at hand, that his kingdom is very close. And he starts ca calling people to follow him in this new kingdom. And he's teaching about it. And he's demonstrating the power of the kingdom. So we have people joining on. And the Jesus mania is on the rise because people are seeing the power and they're intrigued. And there's this big following of, of people who are crowding around Jesus. And at the same time as this Jesus mania is on the rise, you have opposition to the kingdom is also on the rise. And the status quo and the powers that be of his day are seeking to stop this thing and already considering how they might kill Jesus. So these two things are, are growing at the same time. And now we have Jesus. He starts teaching about his kingdom. 
And true to form, he's teaching in parables. And a parable is a, a story. It's a mystery in itself, in a sense, that it's a story that has a deeper meaning if you're willing to listen and understand what Jesus is trying to say. But we have to listen and we have to have faith to understand. And Jesus said, look, some are going to, some are going to listen to this and they'll never understand. And he preaches three parables here about seeds. I want to look at two of them. The first parable we're not going to really look at. It's a, it's a more famous one. It's, it's, you have probably read it as you read through scripture or we've preached on it here. It's a story about seed, about somebody who is sowing seed onto different types of soil. Some soil was hard, and other soil was rocky, and others had thorns around it. But there was also good and fruitful soil. And if you're not familiar with that story, you can take a look at it in your Bible sometime this week. It's really easy to understand that parable because Jesus explicitly explains what he was talking about to his disciples. About how the, the seed is God's word, and it goes into different types of soil of the human heart. You know, some is rocky and other is, uh, has thorns come in. Other is fruitful and it bears fruit. And so it's, it's easy to understand, but, but this is how Jesus taught. And if you look at verse 33 in your text here, it's printed, again, it's printed on the back of this. It says, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. And I just want to stop, before we look at these two parables, you know, why did Jesus teach this way? Why parables? Why, why would Jesus teach in a way that some people just wouldn't get it? You know, is Jesus intentionally putting a barrier between his kingdom and people who are hearing his teaching? But why is Jesus putting one level of teaching in between the people in, in the kingdom? Does he, does he intentionally not want people to understand? And I, the answer, I believe, is no. That's, that's not the case. Jesus isn't trying to make the kingdom less understandable. It's just the opposite. Jesus is using parables to make his kingdom more understandable by describing things that people understood, like farming, like animals and birds and fishing. And He, he, just, he made God's kingdom, which is so out there, he grounded it in everyday life. So it's not that the parable makes the kingdom less understandable. It makes it more understandable. But what it does is you have to want to hear it. The parable itself isn't a barrier. It's the heart of the listener. And that's what that first parable was about, about the soils. He said this, the word's going to go out. It's just going to hit some hard soil sometimes and just it will not take root or it'll take root but just very shallow you know jesus was using this as a hook to to get people interested in the kingdom and and when he told a story and they were interested he'd bring them back and tell them more for those who were trusting and who put their faith and who wanted to explore the kingdom as the text said he he explained to them as much as they could possibly understand about god's kingdom because he wanted God's kingdom to be known and experienced and understood as much as humanly possible. The same is true today. We have God's word, and some people read their, the Bible, and they, they understand God's word, and as they explore it and look into it, it just comes alive, and it grows in their heart. For other people, they say, look, I've, 
I've read that. I've heard those stories. I just don't believe it. You were looking at the same words. But for some people, it will take root. For other people, it's just hard soil. But anyway, that's just a little background on parables in general. But just want to have that idea that Jesus is... It's an, all of this teaching is interesting, and it's an invitation to know and experience his kingdom. So let's pray as we look at these two parables here. So, Father, during this time, I pray that you would teach us. And I pray that as much as we can understand, as much as we can handle, Lord, show us your heart. And may the seed of your word take root in our hearts that we would be growing and fruitful followers of Jesus for your sake and for the sake of your kingdom. And may it be for the glory of your name. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, two parables, really second and third parables. Uh, second and third parables about seeds in the context here. Take a look again at verse 26. Jesus also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man, scatters seed, a man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how, all by itself the soil produces grain. First the stalk, and then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. This parable is unique to Mark, the gospel writer. There's... We have four accounts in Scripture of, of those who wrote down the teaching and, and the action of Jesus and accounts of his life. And they were selective. The Gospel writer John said if he wrote down everything Jesus taught and everything Jesus did, it would take up too many volumes of books. So he, he had a concise account. And the same with Mark. He's not recounting everything Jesus said, but he's selecting aspects of Jesus' life and teaching to encapsulate the story. And here, this is, he, he uniquely selects this passage, so you may not be as familiar with it because it's unique to his writing. But the point here is that the kingdom of God is like a seed that grows, whether you understand how it grows or not. The idea is that the kingdom of God will grow. The kingdom is inevitable. Just like the seed that the farmer sows. Seeds are pretty amazing in general. Life is amazing. As much as we know about science, the perpetuation of life is really a mystery. You know that animals can reproduce and people can reproduce and plants can reproduce and seeds particularly. Because a seed can just look dead. It can look like nothing for a long, long time. But there's still life in that seed, even though it looks dead. There archaeologists found seeds around the area of the, the Dead Sea. They dated back 2,000 years. So these seeds dated back to the time of Jesus. And three of them were planted, and one of them germinated and sprouted. It was 2,000 years later. The seed still had life in it. And it upgrew a, what's called a date palm, which is a plant that was otherwise known to be extinct. And, and it, it, so it's, it's been about 10 years since it was planted, and the plant is still alive. And it, and it is... Uh, producing dates on it, which is pretty cool. So you could taste, so this would have been extinct. So you wouldn't know what a date tasted like at the time of Jesus, but now we can know. You could take one off the tree and I mean, you can't get near it, but if you, in theory, you could go up and taste it. 
And it would taste different than perhaps than what we would know that to taste like. And that's kind of cool. I don't know if you think that's cool, but I kind of like science, and that's pretty amazing. And they're looking for, oh, and it's a dioecious plant, so it's a male plant and female plant. So the, this particular plant is a male plant, and they're, they're looking for perhaps to germinate a female plant, and then they can pollinate, and uh, they can learn more about the genes of the plant. Is it useful for um, medicine? Is it useful for, you know, genetically modifying plants to make them stronger, or is it, you know, what can you do with it? It was, we didn't even know it existed until it, it germinated. You can search this stuff online. It's pretty well attested. It's not just some story, but, oh, they, they nicknamed the plant Methuselah, which is a biblical reference to old age. Anyway, so just thought that was kind of cute. What's the point here, though? The point is this. The success of the Christian message does not depend on the human effort or understanding. It depends on the word of God and his work. It's in the seed. It's not about the farmer. It's in the seed. Human, human being is not the driving force in spiritual growth. God is the driving force. In this image, this parable, this illustration, it shows us that. It teaches us that. And it keeps us from error. And there's two errors. On one end of the error is those who would say, well, spiritual growth is about what I do. It's about me seeking after God and me doing the right things and finding God and experiencing God by what I accomplish. That's one error. On the other end of the spectrum, you say, well, God does all the planting and growing and harvesting and, and nobody knows and you just... It just sort of happens, and it's a very passive process to, to that which is growing. It's all just passive. There's no in, human involvement in that. And both of those represent errors, and this story shows us that it is God's work that causes it to grow, but the farmer still had to sow the seed. The farmer still put the seed in the ground, and even though he didn't understand all of how it works, it, was still, it still grew. And in some ways, it's a corrective of the previous parable about it seems that it's the soil's responsibility. You know, how good is the soil for it to grow? But really, it's about the seed. That's where the life is. This is a discouraging parable for people who are control freaks. There's some of you out there. We like to control life. We like to control. We like to understand everything. The reason we pursue scientific endeavors and try to grow ancient plants and to do these kind of things is to be able to control the world around us, to be able to use the information and use the genetic information and maybe it'll improve life and just controlling our world. And it's the same way with our faith. We want to just understand God in a way that we can sort of uh, put it in a box and explain it systematically and just understand it so clearly and simply. And in the same way that we we know a lot more about how seeds work than the people of Jesus' day. We know a lot more about genetics and about, uh, about just plant biology and, and, and reproduction. We, we understand it, but it's still a mystery to us. And as much as God has revealed to us about himself and about his kingdom, there is still mystery in our faith. There are aspects of who God is that we just can't fully fathom. We can understand it as much as he's let us know, but and as much as we can understand, but there's still mystery in our faith, that God is so much bigger than me, and his thoughts are so much greater than my thoughts. 
again, I alluded to one of those things, that how do we balance human decision and human will with God's sovereignty? How, how do those things work in harmony with one another? I could, we could debate that and explain it. People have spilled oceans of ink on this question of you know, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And at the end of the day, we could all explain it a little bit different, but there is mystery in that. But God has revealed that he is sovereign and that we also um, have human responsibility. The other thing that God has revealed about himself that is sort of a mystery is that God is one, but yet God is eternally distinct in three persons, that God is both three and one. We call it the Trinity, that God is triune, that God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, distinct yet one God. And I can try to explain that or give some analogies, but they often all fall short of what we understand, and there's mystery in that. Yet that's how God has revealed himself. But as people who want to control everything and make everything really easy to explain, and it, it makes it hard for us. But I'll say this. A God who I could explain easily to you, who I could put into nice categories, who is just very simple and systematic, that's not a God that inspires worship in my heart. The God I worship is a God who is so far beyond me that I could never in a million years comprehend his greatness, his holiness, even his love unfathomable. Yet, he's made it known. He's revealing it through Jesus, through this teaching, through his word, enough to know that it's real, that he's revealing it to our hearts, and we can worship and follow him. But if you're a control freak, that's discouraging. This is an, this is an encouraging word if you've ever experienced rejection. Followers of Jesus who have been rejected, who feel like God's kingdom is somehow stuck, it just doesn't seem to be bearing fruit, we can have confidence that that seed will grow. Jesus said night and day, whether the farmer is sleeping or not, the seed of God's kingdom will grow. It is inevitable. We just need to be patient. We need to be patiently obedient, trusting God's goodness, trusting the unfolding of this kingdom in our lives. And that's what the first parable teaches us. The second parable, or the third, you know, Second of the ones we're hitting right here. Uh, we see in verse 30. So not only is the kingdom of God inevitably growing, but look at this. Verse 30. Again, Jesus said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when it is planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. You have a tiny, tiny seed, and it grows into a big tree. It, you know, literally, the mustard seed isn't the tiniest seed on earth, but proverbially, it was known as you know, the tiniest seed, which grows into the, to a big tree, you know, nine, ten feet tall, like a big bush. And it was the largest of plants that you would put in sort of a garden-type setting. Or in New England, I would say, great oaks from little acorns grow. You know, something so small that could become massive and great. 
So not only will the kingdom grow, but from a humble beginning, it will grow huge. And we see that in the life of Jesus. Very humble beginning. Just a baby born in poverty. One man. The seed of a woman. But not just any seed. All the way back to the beginning of creation. And then as sin enters the world and sin and death come into the world, God promises humanity that a seed of the woman, an offspring of the woman, would one day destroy the work of the enemy, will destroy the lie of the serpent, will wipe out sin and death. Jesus is the seed of the woman. And as we look at Jesus' genealogy, especially in the Gospel of Luke, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, that Jesus is the seed of, of the woman, of Eve. But he's also the seed of Abraham. He's the descendant who, uh, through Abraham's line, would be a blessing to the whole world. He's, he's the descendant, the seed of David, the promised king who was to come, who would reign forever. One man, one seed, in his one life given on our behalf. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. What happened was that seed was placed in the ground, dead, in a tomb, and sealed. But three days later, bursting forth with new life, that seed comes to life. And it becomes the new seed, the new growth of a new kingdom of which we are a part. Let me read this in context. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. This is the Apostle Paul describing it to the early church, who Jesus was and what he did. He says this, But if Christ has indeed been raised up from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in its own turn. Christ the first fruits, then we, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Just as it just takes one human to sin, it takes one perfect human, God in the flesh, to come and bring that new life. And that kingdom is growing, and one day it will be known in its fullness, and, and God will reign forever. God's kingdom is growing, and it will grow, and it will grow huge, even from small beginnings. That's how God works. So for us, don't underestimate the power of the seed, the seed of God's word, as it is scattered, as it is planted. However unimpressive it looks, however dead or dormant it looks, there's life in the seed. God's word has intrinsic value to it. It's not about the effort of the farmer, the one who delivers the word. The power is in the word itself. I, the prophet Isaiah describes it like this. Isaiah 55, 11. My word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word will not be empty. If you are ever have a chance, if you ever have a chance to share about your faith or to share about your spiritual life, speak the truth of God's word. Scatter the seed. It's not about how eloquently you say it. It's not about how uh, wonderful or compelling you are. It's about the power of God's word. 
Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is the same letter, Paul teaching the early church. He says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He goes on to say, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. He's saying, look, when I was with you, all I proclaimed was Jesus came. Jesus died for your sins on your behalf, and he rose again from the dead to bring you forgiveness and new life. And that's all I preached. Not trying to flatter you, not trying to wow you, I'm proclaiming the kingdom. And it bore fruit, and they had faith, and by the Spirit's power it grew. Our job is to love God. To love and to trust God. Our job is to then take that love and to love other people and to just spread the message of the kingdom in word and in deed wherever God places us. We're not responsible for the growth. God causes it to grow, but we trust him and we love people and we spread the seeds of the kingdom. So do not lose heart. If you are, if you are a parent and you have sought to plant the seeds of the kingdom in your children and you don't see it taking root, don't lose heart. Just continue to spread the seed. You don't need to dig up the plant and look at the roots and see what's happening. That, that's, that's a good way to kill a plant. Just continue to plant the seeds. If you are a small group leader and you have your group and you've just been struggling along for years and years and not sure if anybody's even making progress or any of this is going to, just continue to search the word, understand it, spread those seeds wherever you go. If you are a Sunday school teacher and your kids are just crazy and you don't understand, you're teaching these lessons and it seems like nothing is sinking. And I teach the, uh, oh, the, the fourth grade boys, fourth and fifth grade boy family night group and sometimes I feel like just kind of throwing seed and it's kind of hitting the walls and it's just um, kind of hitting the, you know, ceiling fan and it just it's don't lose heart and I pray by the grace of God that those who are teaching right now physically below us that by God's spirit they would know that as they plant those seeds that God's kingdom is advancing don't lose heart the kingdom will grow and it will grow big at which point you might say pastor that's an encouraging word that's cute but which is not true, because look at the world around us. It doesn't look like God's kingdom is advancing, and you know, look at the decline in church. People aren't going to church like they used to, and people aren't professing faith in Jesus, and churches are closing left and right. You know, what's this, where's this kingdom? You know, where's this great tree where the world will you know, flock to its branches? And I say, well, you know, I get it. This is certainly in our country. Um, we've, we see a certain decline in people of faith, but take a look at this. I'm ready. <laughs> All right, so this blue line down here, okay, this is year 33 on the left, on the horizontal axis, and that was a pretty significant year, give or take a little bit in the history of the Christian faith. So on this end, 2100 projected, and this blue line is a steady growth of, this is Christians, this is population in millions. And 
as you can see through history, the kingdom is growing and projected to continue to grow. The kingdom is growing. At which you might say, Pastor, nice try. I understand how math works. The population of the earth is skyrocketing as well. So, of course, there's more Christians because they're just, you know, they're, we're making more Christians. So, population goes up, the, you know. But significantly, we're not even really keeping up with population. I say, okay, well, how about this one? Next slide. So, in certain parts of our world, these Asian countries in particular, the red line is the population growth and the green line is the growth of the kingdom. That's the, that's the gospel growth. And these are people coming to faith. And they are, it's far outpacing um, the, the population growth. That, sure, in our country, there's some rocky soil right now. And the seeds have been scattered. And in other places in the world, though, it's taking root and it's going deep. And it's, it's spreading like crazy. Um, and you know, some of those countries, like the one on the top there, has a lot of people live there. Um, and, and I'm actually going to go there this summer. I'm going with a group from the seminary to learn. What is it about this country? How is the gospel taking root, both in the ways that are endorsed by the, the state and those uh, other expressions of, of faith? And I'm going as a learner. I'm not going there to, to do anything but learn and, to, and try to understand, you know, how is God's kingdom growing in different places? And it, I'm really grateful for that opportunity. So um, and let me just show you one more graph here, one more. So if, if you're not convinced yet of the data, you know, here it is. So, okay, so there's year zero, and this is a linear across the bottom. That's years. This is hard to read. I'll try to explain that best I can. On the vertical axis, this is an exponential axis. So 100,000, 10,000, up, you know, 10, it's 10 billion at the top. And the line that starts, the very first line that starts, and it goes up and becomes the tallest line, that's Christians ever all time. Because in this kingdom, even those who, who rest in the sleep of death, awaiting the resurrection, the return of Jesus, the new heavens and the new earth, they're going to be there. The king, they're part of the kingdom too. And we'll be part of it too. And this, that line just keeps going and going. That's all Christians. We don't, we don't die out just because our physical bodies die. And that kingdom is, is and again, that's 2,200 on the end of the projected growth of that. And again, some of these other lines about... Um, you know, the, the, the population of the earth and you know, people who haven't heard the gospel and how many martyrs there are. And there's just lots of ways to look at how the kingdom is advancing, but it is growing and it will grow and it will grow big. And Jesus made that clear. Despite appearances of inaction, the harvest will come. The day will come. So we plant seeds. We plant them everywhere. You don't have to worry about the results. We just... Plant the seeds in your every day, and the harvest will come. And on that day, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I just want to close this message as we sing those words. He is Lord, he is Lord, he is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. Sing this with me. He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead and He is Lord, and every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus
one more time. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue. 